When you're out meeting new people, what is one of the first things that you do? More than likely, you tell them your name, and then you or the one who's doing the introducing gives some pertinent information about who you are, what you do. As a pastor, you know, I've attended some church leader lunches or events, and we sit at a round table, and when it comes time to introducing myself, it may go something like this. My name is Nick, and I'm the pastor at Faith Bible Church in Littleton. Sometimes if I'm in the community, though, and, and someone asks what I do, I may use the word minister instead of pastor, because I just feel like there's a, a, a broader understanding uh, for, for that word minister, specifically for those who don't go to like an evangelical church like we might. If I'm uh, meeting a new group of foster parents, the intro might go something like this. Hi, my name is Nick, and this is my wife, Sarah, and we have four biological children of our own, and we're currently hosting one or two foster children in the home right now. The point is, we give information that is important or makes sense to the situation that we find ourselves in. Depending on the situation that we find ourselves in or, or the people that we're hanging out with, we feed information that's important to that occasion or that events. The information lets the people know that uh, who we are and, and how we relate to that current context. Luke is moving us away from John the Baptist's story into Jesus' story, and he sets out to do some introductions, some handshakes, if you will. Luke is going to remind us that Jesus is both the Son of God as well as the Son of Man, and, and the, the single individual who is going to accomplish the messianic promises that the nation of Israel had been waiting for and hoping for. Luke is going to tell us about Jesus' baptism, and then he's going to tell us a little bit about Jesus' family. Luke says in chapter 3, verse 21, that when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. The first question we have to ask is, why is Jesus getting baptized? As we saw in the last set of verses, John the Baptist was indeed calling people to be baptized and for the purpose of repentance and forgiveness. But if Jesus is supposed to be the, the perfect, sinless man, the one who walked through life doing nothing contrary to the law, then why in the world is he going to be baptized? That's a fair question, a valid question. John the Baptist himself actually had that same question. The Gospel writer Matthew tells us that John tried to stop him, tried to stop Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. John recognizes that the roles really need to be reversed. Jesus stopped him short and says, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Another translation says it this way, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. A couple of weeks ago, we saw Jesus as a young boy on the cusp of manhood, sitting in the temple telling his parents, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Meaning, didn't you know that I had to be with my father's people? My people, doing my father's work. This is, this is a God-ordained act. Jesus' baptism is a sign that he's busy doing his father's work. Luke goes on to tell us in, in verse 21 through 22 that as he was praying, Jesus praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice from heaven came and, and said, you are my beloved son with, with you. I am well pleased. Luke has already given us a, a picture of the Trinity. 
the, the teaching that God is one in three persons. And when he took us through the, the, the angel encounter that Mary had, the angel told her that, that she would conceive a child because the Holy Spirit would come upon you and the power of the Most High, that's God, will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Here he shows us another picture of the Trinity as, as Jesus arrives on the scene to start his ministry. Luke tells us that at the baptism, all three persons of the Trinity are present and working. Jesus is being baptized. The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove, and the voice of the Father rings from heaven, telling us that we are, that we are witness to the Son of God. What's interesting about Luke's telling of the events is that at the time of prayer for Jesus, this is when all of this takes place, when, when Jesus is praying. What we see in, in Jesus' life continually is that prayer is extremely important. He understands the connection that he needs to have with God, his Father, God our Father. How, how that drives, how that connection drives his mission of the work that he is going to do. After all, Jesus tells us that he is all about completing his Father's business, the mission he was sent on, and he is all about hearing from his Father. Though we know from the other gospel accounts that there were other witnesses to this revelation and the baptism, the, the dove and the voice, John the Baptist actually is called out as a witness in the Gospel of John. Here we see Luke framing this up in a much more intimate way. It's a time of prayer for Jesus, communion with his Father. Not only is Luke giving us confirmation of what is to, to come, teeing us up for Jesus' next move, Luke is also showing the confirmation that Jesus receives as he is in uh, his moment of prayer and talking with his Father. And here in the act of baptism, we see Jesus doing the will of God. But we come back to the question that we first posed. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? After all, he was without sin and had nothing to repent for. Exactly why? Why? Jesus was baptized not because he was a sinner in need of repentance, but as a way of identifying himself with those he came to save. One commentator put it this way, if he was to lead them into God's kingdom, that, that's us, then he himself must enter it by the only door open to them. He must be their representative before he could be their king. He must be counted among the rebels before he could see all that would be accomplished by his anguish. This is as Isaiah tells us in chapter 53 of his book, after his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he is willingly submitted to death and was accounted among, was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. This excites me. Do you know why? This excites me because Jesus shows us here that he is putting himself in our shoes. He can relate to, to what we are going through. He is reassuring us that he understands and he's telling us that, that he is on our side. I'm excited about that and you should be too. The idea that Jesus relating to us not only is, is shown here, but it's echoed throughout the rest of the New Testament as well. Romans 8.3, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize 
with our weaknesses. Philippians 2.7, instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. God didn't merely decree from heaven what must be done. God wrapped himself in the skin that we are all wrapped in and said, I want to come and live with my people. And Luke reinforces this by taking us through one of the most boring genres of scripture, genealogies. Let's be honest, when you hit the genealogies in the Bible, how many here just kind of skip on over them? Be honest here. It says, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of... Who cares? Let's move on to the good stuff, right? Luke plants us right in the middle of that. Have you ever looked up your own family history? Maybe you explored the old family tree. Uh, tried to find out where you came from, maybe. My wife is fascinated with her family tree. She's, she got one of those DNA kits um, last year, and she slowly spent the last uh, couple of months exploring her distant relatives. One of my daughters got in on the action as well and requested one for, I think, for one of her birthdays. And, and so she too could to map out her, her history and our history. And they're fascinated with it. And knowing where they come from is important to them. Well, family history was very important in the ancient world as well, especially for the Jewish people. God had made promises about their bloodlines after the nation came back from exile. Digging through the family records was, was important. It was one of the ways that you could map out royal bloodlines as well as those who, who claimed to come from the, the priestly line. The prophet Ezra records for us in, in chapter 2 of, of his book that those who returned from exile searched for their family records, but they could not find them, and so were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. You can't prove that you're actually from the priestly line. Well, then you can't do the priestly work. This is important stuff. Luke knows that, that showing Jesus' family tree is going to be important so that they can show that he has the pedigree promised about the Messiah and their future king. Now, on a side note, uh, when you place the, the genealogy that Luke provides next to that of what, what Luke has to offer, or excuse me, Matthew has to offer, you'll notice that they look slightly different. Matthew starts out with Abraham and makes his way to David and then, and then ends with Jesus. Luke takes the opposite approach and starts with Jesus and makes his way back through David and Abraham and, and doesn't stop there. goes further back still and we see Noah and we see uh, going all the way back to Adam, whom Luke labels as the Son of God. Another interesting thing about Luke is that he is more than likely taking us back through Mary's line and not Joseph's. Luke says in verse 23 that Jesus was about 30 years old and was thought to be the son of Joseph. Matthew takes us directly through Joseph. Matthew also highlights Joseph um, more in the story. For example, the angel comes to Joseph and gives him the news of Jesus's miraculous conception. Joseph gets the news about what they should name the child. Joseph also gets the news that the family should flee to Egypt because King Herod is going to try to kill all of the babies. And Joseph gets the news that they can come and return home. Luke keeps Joseph more in the background and chooses to highlight Mary as the central parent throughout the story. Uh, again, Luke's speaking about those who didn't hold a, a high place in society. Luke will continue to do that as he highlights the prominent place of women throughout Jesus' ministry, even to his death and, and then in the resurrection as well. The bottom line, though, is that we see from the genealogies, both of them, that Mary and, and Joseph 
um, that, that, that both Jesus' parents had ties to the royal line of David. In the eyes of those who would want to question Jesus' heritage, that was important. Uh, another interesting note is that throughout Jesus' ministry, the leaders would question his miracles, his teaching. But we really don't see a challenge um, to the fact that Jesus could claim to be part of the royal bloodline of King David. They questioned if something good could come from a hick town like Nazareth, but they couldn't question that Jesus would be in line for the throne based on his bloodline. And there's no doubt that they would have checked up on this. Who is this man? They would have dug in the archives to try to find out. Jesus proves himself to be a true son of Israel, but not only that, a true son of Israel all of humanity. When Jesus introduces himself to you, one of the descriptions he gives about himself is that he comes from the same place that you and that I do. In that line of people from Jesus' family tree are, are broken people. There are people who struggled with sin. There are people who questioned God and questioned what was happening to them in, in their own lives. There were liars. There were cheats. There were those who were unfaithful. There were those who turned their backs on God at, at one time or, or another. Jesus inserts himself into the same place where we find ourselves. And his Father's voice from heaven says, You are my Son, and I am pleased with you. And because God said that he was pleased, well pleased with Jesus, there's room being made at the family dinner table for both you and, and for me. You see, even though Jesus came from the same place where we are, he is going to do something that we could never do for ourselves He's going to open the doors for, for us to join the family of God. It's, it's as if Luke is telling us that you've come from one family, and we see Adam, and Jesus can relate to that, and now Jesus is going to give us an opportunity to be adopted into a new family, one that is not burdened by all the junk that, that we came from, a home that doesn't have all the same baggage as the last one, a home that's going to give you exactly what you need to experience true life. In the baptism and genealogy of Jesus, we see a Savior who can identify with those he, he came to save. We see a Savior whose work was blessed and commissioned by God. And we see that Jesus is going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that work. All the things that our first father, Adam, did not do. And because of that, we can't do it on our own either. Luke shows us the first Adam and then says the last Adam comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you find comfort in the fact that not only does Luke call out the divine in Jesus, but he also points out his humanity as well? While all the other gods of the ancient world were saying, come, find me, pursue me, I'm hidden, try to get to me, climb the ladder, whatever it may be, God, God the Creator was saying, I know you can't climb up on your own, so I'm going to come down to you. Luke introduces us to Jesus, taking us through the handshake moment. He gives us the information we need to, to know, to, to make it clear that Jesus is, is one of us, but he also is someone who's going to do something we couldn't do. He's going to go deeper into the introductions in chapter 4 when we see how Jesus responds to temptation, something every single one of us struggles with. So may you take comfort uh, in the fact that Jesus chose to live life like you and I. Jesus chose to take a low position that, so that he could directly relate to what you and I are going through. The Bible says that Jesus was without sin, but that doesn't mean that he didn't have struggles in his life. 
He was a carpenter, and I'm sure he probably hit a finger with a hammer on occasion, or stubbed his toe, or dropped something on his foot, or or cut the wood wrong, or whatever, you know. He, he put on human flesh, and, and so was susceptible to the common cold, and the bumps, and bruises, and Jesus may have had friends that were up to no good, and he had to decide how he would respond in that situation. The point is that he was like you and me, and God showed favor, he showed his favor to Jesus. We're going to find that same favor when we accept Jesus as our Savior. No ifs, ands, or buts. No matter our present, or the past struggles that we've had, God has accepted us and counted us as his children. Take comfort in that fact today. Lord God, we come praising your name, thanking you for who you are and what you've done for us. Thanking that you've opened up room at your, your table for us, the banquet table for us. We, we pray, Lord, that our heart's desire be to, to walk in your steps, to fulfill your will uh, and your plan for our lives, just as Jesus did. May we walk in the same power that Jesus had, walking with the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit guide and direct us each and every single day. We come praising you, giving you the praise and the glory that you are due. In Jesus' name, amen.